Let's go. Welcome to the Loans on Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We, we, we give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans on Demand podcast. I hope you're ready for the Loans on Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today, I'm so excited because we we have a different sort of guest on today, a different topic than our traditional uh, topic, but it's super, super important to talk about. Uh, and that is the topic of taxes and, and keeping more money in your pocket. And so today, I'm super excited to introduce Wendy Barlin. Wendy is a CPA, and she's been serving the service-based professionals for the last 20-plus years. Uh, a couple quick tidbits about Wendy. She backpacked around the world for nine months uh, by herself with just a backpack back when cell phones weren't really a thing. So, you know, parents parents didn't know where she was most of the time, which is pretty cool. Stayed in hostels, things like that. And then she also traveled through 26 American states on a Greyhound. So if anybody else has done that, you know, reach out, let us know. But uh, thank you so much for being here, Wendy. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. What a pleasure. Yes. So I really am a believer in the American dream. I arrived with nothing but a bag of dirty clothes. And over the last 25 years, I've learned how to manage the United States tax and cash system to be able to buy and sell businesses, buy and sell buildings. Um, and everything I've built is through trial and error. And everything I teach is what I've experienced. So none of it came from a book. I don't have family helping me. I have no plan B. So the buck stops here. And that's really what I teach my clients every day. Love it. Love that. So, uh, you know, as, as if anybody, if you've listened to this show at any point in time, you know that I'm a sucker for the come up story, the the struggle. Um, and so that's kind of what I wanted to start with here is, is tell me a little bit about that journey from kind of start to to where you are today. And what did that look like? Um, just from, a, you know, from a growth perspective. So I don't think anybody grows up wanting to be an accountant. <laughs> I certainly right. didn't. I want to be a princess like everybody else. Right. But- when it came to practicalities, then I lived in a very traditional home where my mother had to always ask my father for money. And I said to myself when I was a teenager, that's not going to be me. When I grow up, I'm going to manage my own money and I'm going to always have enough, whatever enough is. And so that's why I became an accountant. And when I set off to search the world for somewhere to stake my claim and, and uh, spend 25 years, I just loved California and the sense of entrepreneurship and the feeling that anything's possible. And I really felt that. Uh, and that allowed me to grow and to take risks and to do things. Now, a lot of things failed and I did pay credit card debt and I did get divorced. And I, I mean, there were some real tough times, but I think learning and to keep learning um, and just have the belief that the American dream is alive and well really just kept me going. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. And, you know, obviously, you know, we were talking a little bit off uh, off camera or whatever, but, uh, you know, 25 years ago showing up, you know, uh, from South Africa, probably probably didn't know anything about anything, right? And just kind of right. trying to figure out what, what that looks like. And, and mm-hmm. it is a testament to the fact that we live in, you know, one of the best countries in the, in the world as far as, you know, opportunities go, right? I mean, you know, you can't, right. you can't find the type of opportunities you can find here. And so just to, to, to give perspective to anybody who's listening, right? Like realize how 
blessed we are to live in a country like the U.S., where there's so many opportunities and there's so many, so much that we can do to to make our own future. And you know, obviously, you've proven that with with being a, a, an immigrant uh, and kind right. of showing that it's possible. You know, even if you are an immigrant that doesn't have connections, you can still build the life that you want. Yeah. So that's super, super important. But let's kind of quickly, kind of fast forward a little bit. But but tell me a little bit about what that journey looked like as far as like. Was it easy? Was it hard? Like, you know, what did, what did it take for you to get here right. to where you are today? So I worked at several accounting and tax firms across the city in Los Angeles. And I never really found a spot that was happy. I went from, you know, one to another to another. And then after the towers fell in New York, I said to myself, that's it. Life's too short to work for anybody else. I'm going to do this. And I quit my job and I went out on my own thinking, I can do this. Well, it was hard <laughs> and I found myself working more hours and making yep. less money as my yep. own boss. Yep. So Sounds right. I learned very quickly, wait, maybe I need to do this differently. And so over the last probably 11 years, I've really kind of honed in on what makes a successful business. And, and these are things that you are all doing, right? The right kind of clients. Um, managing my time, keeping boundaries around my life, not mm-hmm. handing out my cell phone number to everybody when I want privacy, um, and really kind of saying, wait, this is my business. I'm not just going to pound out $300 tax returns. So kind of stepping back from the way the business started and recrafting it. And so for most of your listeners, I think it's the same. Many people get into the loan business in one avenue, and then after three or five or seven years, they find themselves changing, doing it a little differently because you start to really get a feel for what is this business and how does it support my life. Sure, sure, and I think uh, you you hit the nail on the on the head there when you talked about like crafting. Basically, like you have the capacity to craft the business that you want, right? And 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 right. so many times in the entrepreneur space and, and sales, loan officers, real estate agents, like I work twenty four hours a day, right? Like you know, uh, let's be yeah. a little a little excessive there, but that's kind of the, the hustle mentality, and to you know to know that like you don't have to, your business doesn't have to look like what everybody else says it has to look like. It has to look like the way you want it to look like, um, and that's huge, right? It's huge to to build a business that you want to be happy with and proud of, and and also that you know. It's something I've got caught in is like thinking that the, the the things that other people want is what you should want as well, and so you just get caught in this like, all right, I'm I'm building this thing, and then you realize oh, it's actually not actually what I want to build. Um, right, so, and you get there and you go, wait, this is success. This is terrible. I don't want right, this. Right, and then you backpedal, but it's really hard to see at the outset, and so it is part of the journey, and everybody has to go through that journey, and there's no right and wrong. It's different for everybody. Some people will be a broker that works from home and does X number of places, X number of loans a year. And somebody else will be building a team and want to grow a team of 20 people with an office in a city in a high rise. And so for everybody, it's a different path. Sure, sure. And I think the other thing that you hit on as well is that, you know, when you first kind of started, it sounds like you were doing kind of the H&R block model. Yeah, of like, I'm just, just going to pound out. out yeah, okay. So pound out tax returns, right? And so to, to sort of, move that over to the mortgage space, like that's essentially what happens, you know, you come in and you're a commodity, right? So how do you stand out? How do you stand out from being a commodity? Because the truth is like anybody, pretty much anybody can offer the same products. The rates are going to vary a little bit, but like, you know, still like, how do you stand out from everybody else? How did your, how does your offer, how does your service stand out in, in a, in a, essentially a sea of a commoditized service? 
right? Correct. Accounting is commoditized, right? And so you're right. You, that's what you talked about was like, hey, you had to learn that, all right, a commodity means I can only charge, you know, 300 bucks a tax return. How do I increase the value of what I provide so that then I can, you know, make more money, charge more, things like and that? And very often the answer actually lies with your past customers. So if you went back to all the loans that you closed last year and said to those customers, why did you work with me? What did you like about working with me? What do you think I did better? Therein lies your value proposition because they will tell you why they think you're better or different than anyone else they've ever worked with. It's very hard to do it yourself, you know, for me to sit here and go, hmm, why am I better? Why am I different? I don't think I am, right? Imposter syndrome kicks in. But your customers, they will tell you. I can tell my mortgage guy exactly why I like working with him. And then that is his differentiator. I love that. I love that. So let's let's uh, let's kind of branch back into the the topic that I think everybody is wanting to hear about is taxes, right? Like, how do I how do we save money? How do we how do we put more money into our pocket? Um, and I want to obviously put this into the context of, of the loan officer space. And, and we were kind of talking a little bit, you know, obviously prior to uh, to going live here, that uh, you know, a couple of years back, a lot of a lot of the industry, you know, had to go over to W two. So a lot of the write offs, things like that, are, are no longer a thing, or at least not right. the way they were in the past. So let's talk a little bit about like, what are some ways that loan officers can uh, can save some money on taxes? Well, so the first thing is, unfortunately, yes, if you are in the position of having to be a W-2, there are no deductions for you. No home office, no cell phone, nothing, absolutely nothing. It's all gone bye-bye. So my recommendation is, If you are working as a W-2, for whatever reason, it works for your lifestyle, that's the job you love, make sure that you are hitting up your boss, your corporate office, to pay for as many expenses for you as they can. Because 10 years ago, even five years ago, when you were not a W-2, you couldn't deduct your cell phone. So hang on. If I'm being required to take client calls on my cell phone, who's paying for that? You should be. Corporate office should be paying for my cell phone. If you're asking me to use it, I'm not paying for it because I don't get to deduct it anymore. You want me to work from home? Then you need to pay for my internet. And so I've had a lot of my W-2 employees go back to their corporate offices or to their bosses and say, I'll be a W-2 employee, but I have no tax deduction. So I need you to help me out on some of the expenses that used to be deductible because Mm -hmm. until that law changes, you're stuck. So it really comes down to cash management. And then for those people who are fortunate enough to still be in the the 1099 world, where you either run your own brokerage or you're a 1099 loan officer, for those people, the number one thing you can do, and this is not cool, sexy, or exciting, the number one thing you can do is keep good records. Sure. Good bookkeeping is absolutely paramount. Because when it comes down to me doing a good job for my clients, helping find more deductions. If you send me a scrap of paper where you've added up some expenses on your credit card, I absolutely guarantee you we've left money on the table. So today we're not even a quarter of the way into 2022. My big beg, my plead for the year is use mint.com, quicken.com. You don't need to go with the behemoth like QuickBooks. Use something simple and start categorizing every single dollar that you spend, and I guarantee you will find more tax deductions. And that guarantee stands that I had had clients in the past 
who've come to me with Excel spreadsheets. And they said, oh, I don't need to do one of those computer systems. I have Excel. Okay. And so I tell them, if I take your Excel document, put those numbers into Quicken and get a different result, and you were right, your tax returns free. I've never had to give away a free tax return. Every time I do this, there is either an error in their Excel worksheet, they've missed something, one of the cells isn't being added up properly. Just last year, I had four ladies who were flipping houses, and their Excel worksheet showed they had $50,000 in profits. Bing, boo, adding error, they had $10,000 in profits. That's a lot of difference right there. So for everybody who is running their own brokerage or having a 1099 income, I absolutely guarantee that you will save tax money by categorizing every single dollar you spend. Yeah, and I, I think the um, this community that's listening to this, right, loan officers know I mean, you know, loan officers probably get some of the most intimate documentation from their their clients out of any, you know, position, right? I, I think accountants probably get similar information too, right? But, you know, it's super sensitive. Um, and, and also, they know that they know that, you know, having complete docs and things like that, especially for people that are like self-employed, I've seen many loan officers complain on social media about their self-employed people, Borrowing. self-employed borrowers trying to do their own accounting, trying to do their own... Yeah. Uh, books and uh, you know, of course, it makes it a nightmare when they're trying to do a loan and and it's like, oh well, you didn't actually pay attention because the truth is, most loan officers, entrepreneurs, salespeople tend to not be very detail oriented. Um, and so when you're not and detail they're oriented, they're busy. Yes. They don't have time to keep their bookkeeping updated. Yes. That's what I hear most of the time when my clients who are loan officers call me and I say, send me your file, and they're like, well, I'm about three months behind. Yeah. yeah, I get it. It's the cobbler in his shoes too, right? Where we're yep, so busy yep, yep. taking care of everybody else's businesses, we don't take care of our own. Um, and then what you're looking for in those expenses, Luke, tax law says anything is deductible that is ordinary and necessary for your business. That's all it says. Ordinary and necessary. So that is extremely broad. So when you go through your list of expenses, any category, any dollar where you can say to yourself, this expense is ordinary and necessary for my business, you have a deduction. Now, there's three no's, country club dues, gym dues, and clothing are no's. Flat, black and white, not deductible. Don't go there. Don't say what if, maybe, Wendy, can we make it work? Just don't go there. Play in the other gray areas that are not black and white no's. Meals. Travel, gifts, these are gray areas where you, who are in the schmoozy people business, I mean, you're in loans, but you're actually in sales. You need to be spending money on all those things. So as long as the numbers are ordinary and necessary for your business, you make a case for a deduction. Yeah, love that. And from, from that standpoint, like, what do you what do you recommend as far as like let's say they do take a deduction like what if they get audited, right? Well, less than one percent of the world gets audited. Okay. <laughs> so it's unlikely that you will, especially now the IRS are still twenty four million returns behind and they're trying to hire eight thousand six hundred people. But the day will come where they do have an audit team again, and if you get audited, you must 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 have a receipt. 
So a credit card statement or a bank statement is not a receipt. I'll say that again to be extremely clear. You must have a receipt. A credit card statement or a bank statement is not a receipt. So if you go to dinner in a restaurant and you do not have the piece of paper that you signed that showed what you ate, you have no proof of deduction. And under audit, that meal could be denied. So they're never going to call me and go, Miss mm, Barlin, did you have dinner with Luke on Thursday? And what did you discuss? I've never seen that in 25 years. But they will ask for your receipts. And if you cannot produce your receipts, they will deny the deduction. Well, that's that's good to know because I always say no to receipts. Uh, so going forward, I guess I'm going to take all my receipts. And and, and they can be PDFs or JPEGs. So you don't actually need the piece of paper. So usually what I'll do in a restaurant is I'll take a photograph with my phone of the receipt and then crumple it up or shred okay. it. Cool. And as long as you have an electronic um, receipt, that's fine too. And they don't have to be beautifully alphabetized either. I have a little yellow folder on my computer that says 2022 receipts. And if the IRS would like to pour through there, more power to them. Sure, sure. Yeah, just don't do anything sketchy and you should be good, right? Um, well, we, yeah. we don't and know what that looks like. Sketchy to me is usually greedy. Sketchy is usually greedy. So when it comes to things like meal, um, very hard to audit, really one person's word against another. As long as you have your receipts, you're good, but you kind of have to think about ordinary and necessary. So let's imagine you make $100,000 for the year. If you spend $50,000 on meals, does that seem ordinary and necessary to you? It doesn't right. to me. And so that's where I tell people when they say to me, oh, I have all these receipts. Can I deduct this? Can you? Yes. Should you? Probably not. And that's where having your list of expenses is so critical because you want to cast your eye down and make sure that not one category jumps out as being extremely huge so that the IRS, IRS would go, oh, that's unusual. I wonder what that is, right? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Any uh, anything that that uh, loan officers uh, should look out for um, when kind of doing this? Is there any anything that they're not allowed to do? Well, again, no clothes. So because you need nice clothes to go and meet with potential um, clients or to meet with realtors or other referral sources, that is not deductible unless you have your brand on your clothes. If you put your brand on your sweater or on your T-shirt. That makes it deductible. Just saying, I need to dress nicely, that doesn't cut it. The other one that I really want loan officers to be careful of is the home office. So a home office does not get you out of it. That is a myth. It hasn't been true in 25 years. Okay. Absolutely. If you work from home as your dedicated office, you should 100% take a home office deduction. However, if your brokerage has an office available to you, but you choose to work from home, or you work from home two days a week and you go into the office three days a week, then you need to be careful because the law says it has to be your primary office. And they love to take issue with that, especially with some of the bigger, larger, more public brokerages. Sure, Keep sure, sure. very careful. And that's where you want to have a discussion with your accountant about, is it appropriate for me? Am I within the letters of the law? And if you are, by all means, go for it. But if you're not, pass. One of the things you mentioned was, uh, I mean, obviously mileage uh, is one thing. Um, you know, obviously they're meeting loan officer meeting with with real estate agents, things like that. Um, right. Is mileage something that is is deductible? I think you said yes. Um, mileage is, is a tricky one. So, 
driving from home to your office, not deductible. It's called That's commuting. What I thought. It's like too bad That's what you. I thought. Okay. But driving from your office outbound to meet with clients or go to networking meetings or go to the bank or whatever you need to do, that is deductible mileage. So think about this. If your home is your office, now all of a sudden you've opened up this whole world because every time you leave your home, you have business trips. Right. And in fact, the IRS has gone as far as to say that today I stopped at the post office before I picked my son up from school. And they say that entire trip is a business trip. Even though I stopped to do something personal, they don't ask you to split it. So when you have a home office that expands your mileage, then Mm. in terms of how do you deduct mileage, you have a choice. You can either go with the IRS preset miles of whatever it is for that year. It changes every year, but let's call it 55 cents a mile. 55 cents time. It's like a standard deduction type of a thing. Correct. Times okay. the number of miles you did, or my preference is to add up my gas receipt, my car cleaning, my insurance, my repairs and maintenance, and then I take a percentage of those expenses as my okay. auto expense. Now, should you keep track of your mileage? Yeah, you're supposed to keep a mileage log. But I've been through these audits before, and you know what happens? My client brings a calendar, we mark it up. And we say to the auditor, here you go, here's my mileage log. And the auditors laugh because they know we did it within the last 24 hours. So they don't know whether you diligently kept a mileage log for the last seven years or whether you just made it in the last 24 hours. So most of the time they go back to ordinary and necessary. And they say, if you bring in $100,000 and you spend $25,000 on auto expenses, that don't really seem ordinary and necessary for someone in your business. Right. And if your mileage is three or four or five thousand, they're gonna go fine, pass, mileage log right. accepted. And so that's nice. where I need people to truly think about what they're putting on their tax returns. And that so many of the conversations I have with people are really about the risk reward relationship, where sure. it's not about is something deductible, because strictly by the letter of the law it is. But should you deduct it? That's a different question. Right, right. Yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, just unfortunately and fortunately, um, I guess the government uh, typically puts a lot of things in gray area. Um, I say fortunately because that means we get to play in that gray area. I say unfortunately because that means at any point in time, they can decide that their interpretation is now different and they can enforce you know, these, these gray area yep. uh, rules, right. Which is, which is annoying. And, and obviously loan officers know all about that with, you know, right. talking about these different, different mortgage programs with different interpretations and how the government sees it and how they, you know, specifically HUD puts out, uh, you know, very just co- sort of not specific stuff because they, you know, again, and then it comes down to interpretation, uh, which, which is kind of a hard thing. We um, have a lot of those discussions. Yeah. What is your net income going to look like? What kind of debt will you qualify for? These are really important things. And then maybe it's not the end of the world to pay a little bit of extra taxes for all the reasons we've talked about. So as long as you're not greedy, if you want to play in the gray area in meals and travel and gifts, and then you still pay taxes, okay, that's okay. It's the people who want to pay no taxes and deduct everything that end up in a world of hurt. Sure, sure. Yeah, because I mean, because that makes it look weird. Like, okay, you're clearly taking right. advantage of it. 
Right. And you just don't want to go through an audit. Like you just don't want to raise any eyebrows and go, now, could you come through that audit completely clear? Absolutely. And not own a, own a penny. It's possible. You know, we've had a lot of clients just cleared from audit. However, the time and the stress that you will have to put into that, it's going to detract from your work. And who wants to deal with that? And that's what I tell clients. I said, you know, we can deduct this new car. It's going to save you a thousand dollars. But if you get audited, how much time are you going to spend fighting with them, responding to notices? Is it worth a thousand dollars for you? And for everybody, that answer is different. I have some clients who will do it for a penny, and other people who are like, if I can't save ten grand, I don't want the headache. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think I think there is certain scenarios where, I mean, even even just like the gas deduction, you know, some right. people just. The standard deduction outweighs, you know, the, the the itemized deduction. So sometimes it makes sense to just do it that way, depending on, you know, who, who you are and what you do and, you know, how much you travel and all that fun stuff. Um, you, you did mention also meals. I know at one point meals was, I thought meals was a no-go. And then I think they switched it. Tell me a little bit so about meals, that. Yeah, some isn't weird that things. interesting what happened this year? So in yeah. prior years, meals were only 50% deductible. When you ate in a restaurant, you could only deduct 50% of it. Then during COVID, Trump said, we need to help our restaurants. And so he put into place what is commonly called the margarita law. <laughs> and the margarita law says that 100% of anything eaten or anything you eat or drink in a restaurant is now 100% deductible. And that also rely, um, relies on numbers in 2021. So in 2021, the returns you're filing now you can deduct 100% of any meal or drink you have in a restaurant. Wow. That's crazy. Isn't it crazy? And I, I don't know if it helps restaurants or not, but it sure helps taxpayers. Yeah. Yeah. It sure, it sure helps all the, uh, all the people that wanted to write off their, their meals. So right. <laughs> that's right. good. But Hey, j- just so we know, uh, make sure you have your receipts. Cause uh, if you do get out of it, yeah, that's exactly right. And anything under $25, you do not need a receipt for. So you know, a sandwich from Subway or swiping your credit card in a parking meter, you don't need a receipt for, but anything over $25 you do. Cool. So we can spend away under 25 bucks, huh? That's that's cool. Yeah. Just make Ordinary sure you use a bunch of So all of a sudden, all of a sudden you have thousands of $25, uh, <laughs> $25 uh, uh, payments that you're like, what right? the world is this? Then you're definitely getting audited. Um, uh, so, so I, I love this. Um, and, and obviously like, you know, this conversation is, you know, kind of boring, right? Not, not, sorry, not you. I'm just talking the, the conversation around taxes is not like the sexiest, like funnest thing. It's the right. same thing I tell more at the same thing. I tell loan officers, like mortgages yeah. aren't sexy. No one actually wants a mortgage. Right. They want a house, right? right. They want a home. Um, right. but, but that being said, it's super, super important, right? I mean, just like mortgages, you know, without it, you, you know, most people can't buy a house unless you're, you know, Blackstone or some major corporation that's buying up all the inventory, which is happening right now. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so what is that? What does that look like for the common person? So most people actually don't even need an accountant. You know, I just wrote a blog post on this last week because there's this frenzy about, oh, I need to hire an accountant. What are the costs? What do they need to do? But most people don't even need one. Truthfully, if you want to just file a clean tax return, you have a W-2, even if you're a 1099 or run your own business, but you just want to file a clean tax return, you are well poised to use tax cut or Tax Pro, or any of those softwares, they spend millions of dollars perfecting their software. If you just go through the Q&A process, did you own a car? Did you have mileage? 
how far did you drive every day? If you follow that, your tax return will be squeaky clean. Absolutely perfect. No issue. The people who need to hire accountants are people who want to play in the gray area and have these kinds of discussions. Yep. Hey, Wendy, do you think I should deduct that? What will happen if I deduct this? How far can I push it? What if? Those are the discussions that are worth paying for an accountant. Right. If you want right. to have those discussions. And then make sure that the accountant that you work with is happy to have those discussions. Because like when I started, I was a cheap tax return mill. I was not talking to anybody. People right. sent me their envelopes. I took the documents. I put them in the software. I got my 300 bucks. I said, sign here. This is what you owe. And off they went. Right. So you want to make sure that if you are going to spend money on an accountant, that you make sure that's the person who's going to have conversations with you and going to teach you and answer your questions to whatever length you need them answered. Yep, yep. Otherwise, save your money and go use an online system that will do you quite well. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. Just, just, just in my own personal experience, you know, I remember for years I did TurboTax and every year it would be like, oh man, I'm like, I'm worried. So one year I was like, you know what, let me just send this to someone because they're like, hey, I'll, I'll make sure I go over it. your last year's return. And the guy was like, honestly, right. like you did a good job. I'm not even going to take your money. Just go ahead and, and file with TurboTax unless something complicated has, right. has come up. Right. So it was, you know, it was, it was a cool, it was cool that the guy was like. <laughs> and we do that all the time. Probably 60% of the inbound phone calls that we get, I tell them, it's not worth you paying me. I can't add any value. I, I can't save you more than you're going to pay me. So just go do TurboTax. You'll be fine. If you hit yep. a snag, call me. But most people are fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are amazing. Yeah. I want, and it was interesting too. Then obviously when I started to get complicated, I started a business and there was write-offs right. and there was S-Corp. Do I file an S-Corp? When do I file right. an S-Corp? What does that look like? So yeah, there's all kinds of things there. And 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 I, I think to your point as well, I mean, I think my experience, obviously we had, had a local accountant and then kind of one that turned into like a, C, a fractional CFO. And the, the difference between the two was, was stark, right? Like one right. is proactively giving me ways to save on taxes on how to structure, right. how to pay myself so that I save on taxes, things like that. Whereas the other one was just, like you said, you hand them their stuff, they, they give you the, the, the numbers and that's it. They don't tell you how to, how to look at the numbers, what the numbers mean. They don't like that. Doesn't, right. So to me, the, per, the person, again, non-detailed person, which I would presume most LOs are going to be less, you know, not super detail oriented are going to struggle, are going to struggle with some of that stuff. Right. So um, having someone that can give you advice on, um, you know, right. not, and not just reactively, but proactively as well. I think that's huge uh, to have someone. And that some can of it is state related, you. you know, all the states that are too. different and all the states are changing their laws. And so you want to, you know, have that discussion about what state you're in and what are the issues here? What do I need to know? And that can be really valuable. Yeah. I think industry specific sometimes too, right? Like we work with someone who right. specifically, they work only with on pretty much online marketing agencies, online businesses like mine. So they understand exactly the right. sort of, they, they know exactly what the labor, sh- like how much labor I should be spending, how much, right. uh, how much I should be spending on advertising, how much I'd be like. Well, even sometimes down to the software. So I can yeah, look that, at a client's software and say, why are you using this archaic thing? Everybody yeah. else in the industry is using this and look at the beautiful reports they're getting. And right. so that's also where, you know, people that truly understand your industry can add a lot of value. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So um, just to kind of wrap things up a little bit here, tell me like, what would you say is kind of one uh, and, and typically what I ask you at the end is, you know, what's one way that they can go out and get more business, but 
you know, in, in your case, what's one way that they can go out and uh, save some money this year or next year? Or whenever? So receipts and bookkeeping, please, please, please. Receipts and bookkeeping. And I absolutely guarantee you, you will find money. If you do it regularly, don't wait till the end of the year. Don't wait three months. Do it. I do mine every week. Literally every single week I do my bookkeeping because the numbers are real. I remember what I spent on yesterday. I don't remember what I spent on a month ago. So every week, bookkeeping and receipts. Please, 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 the holy grail. Love that. Um, and is there one uh, is there one thing that you would tell the typical loan officer that, that there's is there one spot that you think they could save money? Like, is there a specific deduction? Anything that you see a lot of people are not taking that they could take? Yes, I think gifts. I yes. think that some loan officers do send gifts, yep. but some don't. They don't kind of don't need to. And you could. The IRS is not going to know that you don't. So if I send a gift to my, well, this weekend, my son has to go to a birthday party. So I had to go buy one of those $25 gifts from Target for a kid. They don't know I didn't send it to Luke's son as a birthday present. They don't know that I didn't send that to you as a um, new baby welcome gift uh, because you moved into the new home that I just helped you close. So mm. I think a lot of my loan officers don't play in the gray area as it relates to gifts. And I think you can and you should, if your gut yes. allows you to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there is there is definitely some some gray area there that you don't want to play in giving too much away because of, you know, you don't want to give a value in return of a referral type of a thing. Um, right. just, just from that context, but in, in terms of, yeah, like saving yourself some tax, there's, there's definitely some ways. So I, I love that. Um, and, and for, you know, just for everybody who's listening, um, I think this, this, this conversation has highlighted a, a very important part of this industry, which is, Hey, like, you know, keep, keep more money in your pocket, right? You can make a lot of money in this industry. Um, but you know, how can you keep more money in your pocket? And I know there's other strategies, other ways that you can do it, depending on structure, things like that, that gets real deep into, uh, into the weeds. Um, but, but tell me, Wendy, what is somewhere that people can find you if they're interested, they want to learn a little bit more about kind of what you do, um, or, or they're, or they're, you know, looking to, to see if they can save some money. Uh, where's some of the, sure. so there's a bunch of free resources on my website. If you go to wendybarland.com, on my website is a resources page, and there are a bunch of free downloads um, detailing home offices, S-corporations, what's pros and cons, lots of free stuff for you there. And my Love book, it. That's Deductible, is uh, available on Amazon. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Wendy. I think, again, I, I think this conversation, uh, like I said, I mean, it's not the sexy, like super awesome conversation to have, but it's super important because, you know, the more money you keep in your pocket, the the, right. you know, the more you can spend on your family, the more you can invest right. into future, all that kind of fun stuff. So um, thank you so much for being here. And, and to everybody who's listening, go out there and, uh, you know, keep track of what you're doing, keep track of your deductions so that you can keep more money in your pocket. And thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. Thank you for tuning into the Loans on Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. The Loans on Demand podcast.